You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Happy Mother's Day. I hope you're having a good day. Uh, we are going through the book of Mark, and we have made it to Mark chapter 6. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it there. Uh, we are looking, and we're trying to figure out, okay, you plan out the, the text uh, for the whole year, and uh, where, how Mark would break up, and then we realized this one's on Mother's Day. So I went and looked, see what it would be today on Mother's Day, and it's about murder and, and horrible things. So happy Mother's Day ahead. So we thought we'd have a great video, and there's a touching moment because of the sermon. It might not be. Um, but happy Mother's Day, Mark chapter 6. Uh, we're working through, and Mark 6 is one of those chapters. Like we've said, Mark is writing to, these, to the Christians in Rome who are heavily persecuted, and he's just trying to share with them uh, reasons to stay strong in their faith, it's stories about Jesus that they'd be able to hold on to and say, that's the Jesus that I'm willing to risk everything for. And so he shares story after story after story. He's writing very fast. He uses the word immediately over and over again, and that's where we're at in chapter 6. It's just a hodgepodge of three quick little stories. And so we're going to dive into all three. Uh, some of them might seem like they don't even connect. Some of them do. Uh, but we're going to look at all three stories today and see what we can gather from each one. For chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. This is the second time Jesus has gone back to Nazareth since the, the dove came upon him at his baptism. The first time we see that recorded in Luke and the hometown turns on him. They try to stone him, run him out of town, try to kill him. This time he thinks maybe it'll be different. This time he's got his, his disciples with him and he says, I, I need to go to give my hometown another chance. I love that about Jesus. Because there's times that I've turned my back. There's times that uh, I, I commit sins. And there's times that my faith gets weak. And, and I love that Jesus, time and again, says, I need to give Matt a second chance. That he says to each one of you, you deserve a second chance. That he says to his hometown, it's time for another chance. So he goes back to Nazareth. It's a small town, a small village. Now, town is maybe too big of a word. A village is about 150 to 200 people, less people than are in this building right now. That's how small his hometown is. And so he goes back and he's bringing his disciples with him, and, and the stories have made it back to this, to this village. They've heard about his teaching, they've heard about his miracles, they've heard about this Jesus and, and the promise that he might be the Messiah, that people are proclaiming, this is the Son of God. And they're trying to figure out, wait, little Jesus? Little Jesus that used to run up and down these, these streets? Little Jesus who used to work with his dad? We have some of his furniture in our home that he built. He's the Son of God. So they go back to the hometown. It says, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. He was a visiting rabbi, and visiting rabbis would be welcome to come in and, and just kind of take over during the synagogue service. And, and so he goes and he begins to share. He begins to teach. We see at other times he opens a scripture from Isaiah proclaiming about the Messiah to come, about the Son of God. And he says, that's me. I'm here. And the people are amazed. They're gripped by his teaching. It is fascinating. They're, they're sucked in. And they, they're amazed. And they've heard the stories about him. And, and then... They start to question. Then the, the whispers begin to be like, isn't this just Jesus? I don't know where he got this wisdom, but, 
that's, that's Mary's boy. And so it says they begin to ask, where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that's been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? So their questions at first are, are kind of vowed. They're saying, wait, this is the little boy that we saw grow up. Where is he getting all this? How's he do this? But as they begin to ask more and more questions, they get more and more skeptical. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this Mary's son? The brother of James and Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. These questions, I don't know if you, you pick up, but they start to change to be more critical. Even this comment about, isn't this Mary's son? Some people think maybe that's a reference to Joseph has died already. A lot of people think it might be a reference to Jesus's, in their eyes, illegitimate birth. They're judging him. They're questioning him. They've seen the miracles. They've, it says that, that they heard about the miracles, these remarkable things that he's done. They're amazed by his teaching, and yet they can't see it because they're seeing just through their own eyes, not through the eyes of faith. When we were in Taiwan, there was a young lady named Debbie, and she was an engineering student, and Sarah met with her every week, and, and they would go over the Bible, and they'd work through the book of Matthew and tell her about Jesus, and she said, I, I think this is all great, these stories are amazing, but I just can't believe. She said, it doesn't make sense, I like facts, I like everything organized, I, I, it just isn't clicking. And Sarah said, there's got to come a point where faith overrides this need for, for proof. To, to, there's no pictures. There's no evidence. There's the scripture, the word of God, and you have to have faith. It was a great thing that about a year later, we got word that Debbie accepted Jesus and got baptized. But it took her a year to work through seeing Jesus through the eyes of faith instead of through the eyes of an engineer. His hometown... They're not looking through the eyes of faith. They're looking through the eyes of people familiar with Jesus, people that saw him growing up, people that are questioning, how could this be? And it prompts Jesus to say the famous line, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. See, they were too familiar with Jesus to see who he was. Growing up in a Christian home, maybe some of you have been in this situation. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. Every time the church was open, it felt like we were there. I was always there on Sundays and Wednesdays, children's choir, Bible Bowl, all this stuff. And we were involved in church so much that I got to know all the Bible stories. <laughs> maybe you're right there with me. Noah's Ark, got it. David and Goliath, check. Jesus calling Lazarus out of the tomb, got it. Jesus raising from the dead, okay, check. And I've heard all the stories and I'm almost too familiar with him that I miss the amazingness of who Jesus is. I miss the, I don't get uncomfortable when I read the scriptures that are calling me out on the things that I need to work on because I, I, I'm so used to it. But I need to be made uncomfortable by Jesus. I need to be pushed by my relationship with Jesus to step out in faith and so often we get too comfortable. They knew Jesus too well to see who he was. I don't know about you, but sometimes as Christians, we get to the point where we know him too well. We know the scriptures too well that we just read through instead of living it, instead of breathing it, instead of jumping in and seeing, wow, he just raised a little girl from the dead. 
And so the crowd was too familiar with Jesus. It says he could, do, he could not do any miracles there except to lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. It's not a, fa- not a matter that Jesus couldn't. It's not that he didn't have the ability, but he couldn't because no one was coming to him. All throughout the book of Mark and the other gospels, we see people coming to him and he heals them. That they have faith that he will, that he will do it, and he does. But here in his hometown, no one's coming to him except for a few sick people. And what happens to them? They're healed. Imagine all the people in the hometown that should have come, that missed it. That because they weren't willing to see Jesus through faith, missed the chance to be healed, missed the chance to have the demons removed, missed the chance for, for forgiveness, for, for healing. Because they missed seeing Jesus through faith. And says that he was amazed at their lack of faith. There's two times that, uh, in scriptures that we see Jesus amazed. One is here, that at his hometown, he's amazed by their lack of faith. People that should be believing don't. And then on the other side, we see someone that shouldn't be believing that does, the Roman centurion. He's a Gentile. There's no reason he would believe, but the centurion says, I believe Jesus. You don't even have to come to my house. You can heal my daughter from a distance. And says that Jesus was amazed at his faith. Man, I would love to amaze Jesus. Wouldn't you? And there's two ways we do that. In having great faith in him, or having a lack of faith. I hope that each one of us is amazing him in our, the strength of our faith, not the lack of it. And so, as I was saying, Mark writes these stories so quick, and now he quickly moves on to another story. And so we see this story as he sends out the 12. Any good boss, when they're training an employee, well, there's several steps. They'll first show them what to do, and then they'll walk them through it as the employee is learning to do it. And then there comes a point where they kind of have to step back, let the employee perform the, the task on their own. And, and they kind of set the, set the rope free, and the employee goes and, and does the job, the task, the, the, the sale, whatever that looks like on their own. But the, a good boss is still there beside them. It's still nearby at a phone call or, or a quick look. And is, am I typing in this code correctly? Yeah, yeah, you got that. To be there if there's a question, if there's a need, just to make sure because I, I don't quite know what I'm doing. There, there's something. I wasn't expecting this to pop up and the boss is there to help them through. So they're on their own, but they're also being watched. And this is where Jesus is with his disciples. They've been traveling with him for a long time. They've learned, they understand the doctrine. They've learned what Jesus has to say. They understand the message that we see in Mark chapter one, the kingdom of God is here, that he is the Messiah. They have this. They've seen how he heals people, has compassion, loves. But now it's time because Jesus knows what's coming. Jesus is gonna die. He's gonna raise again. And he's gonna ascend to heaven. And when he does that, these 12 need to go. These 12 need to go in different directions. They need to go in, in each different way. And they need to go. And this is what the church will be built on. So this is Jesus' chance to kind of have a dry run with them. Make sure they got it. To answer any questions. To work them through while he's still there. Because he knows the future. They're going to have to go and do this on their own. And so... 
The passage continues. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them the authority over impure spirits. They go out in groups of two. We see the same pattern in the book of Acts, the starting of the church. So we see that they picked up on what Jesus was doing. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. He's saying that these are going to be short trips. Don't get bogged down with the extra things. Just focus on your job at hand. It's to go and share the message. To go and share, uh, tell others about Jesus. To go and remove impure spirits. To go and bring healing. Just go. Don't get caught up in the details of, of do I have, an, have I packed enough? Do I have this? No. You'll be taken care of. You're doing my work. You'll be taken care of. It says, and he continues, and if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. It was this tradition that when a, a proper Jew would leave the, the Holy Land, would leave Israel, and they'd go into Gentile territory, when they'd come back, uh, kind of at that borderline, they would shake their sandals to get the dust of the Gentile land off because this is holy ground. When they've come back to, to God's land, this is holy ground, so we're not even bringing defiled dust into this area. And so this message that Jesus has is that tradition, but it's huge because they're sending them to Jewish villages, Jewish towns. He's saying, shake your dust off. It's implying that this village that's not going to believe, this village that turns their back on the Son of God, you're as bad as the Gentiles. Would have been a huge insult to that town. And so he tells them to do this. Almost as if saying, hey, you missed it. I'm going to go on somewhere else and tell them about Jesus. It says, they went out and preached that people should repent. And check it out. Look what they did. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So they were preaching. They were removing demons. They're anointing. They're healing. They're doing all these things. And then Mark gives us another story. Right? It's called interpolation where, they would where Mark takes a story and then sticks another story in it, kind of like a sandwich like Elliot had illustrated several weeks ago. And so we have another one of these sandwich stories that he sends out the 12 and you're waiting to see what happens, uh, what, what happens when they come back. And instead, we're going to learn about what happens to John the Baptist. John the Baptist, as you, rem you might remember from Mark chapter 1, was around. He was proclaiming the message of repentance. He was baptized in the Jordan River, and he was telling people that there's another one to come, one that he wasn't even worthy to untie their shoes. John was incredibly popular. Many people went and listened to him. Many people followed him. And as he pointed people to Jesus, that added quickly to Jesus' popularity. And as Jesus' popularity grew, more and more people are talking about him. The word is spreading, and the word has even got to the palace and to royalty. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that's what the miraculous powers are at work in here. Others said, he's Elijah. So others claimed he's a prophet, like one of the prophets from long ago. They're trying to figure out, who is this Jesus? How is he doing all this? How is he preaching so well? And some things it's Elijah because Elijah just went to heaven. He didn't actually die. He, he was taken up into heaven. And, and Malachi 4, 5 says that, uh, that Elijah will come back 
And so some think that it's him coming back. But Jesus has told us that the spirit of Elijah is upon John the Baptist. So that already happened. Some think that it's John the Baptist coming back from the dead. And here we say, wait, what? Mark's audience is saying, wait, last time we saw John, he was baptizing people. What do you mean back from the dead? So Mark tells us what happens to him. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. And now we're about to hear the story, a story that I'm sure spread throughout the palace and then the town and then the region in days. It's a story of royalty, a story of scandal, a story of murder. It's a story of how John the Baptist dies. It says, For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, It's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. See, Herod had married Artius. Artius was the daughter of the king of Arabia. And so he already had a wife. Then he goes off to Rome for a little time. And while he's in Rome, he spends time with his brother and his brother's wife, Herodias. He convinces her to leave her brother to marry him and to come back with him. So on the return of Herod to see his first wife, he's now bringing a second wife. John is preaching against this. John wasn't shy about what he would say, about the words he shared. And so John has preached against Herod. You shouldn't take another wife. You're already married. You definitely shouldn't convince your brother's wife to marry you and leave your brother. And so Herodias, the new wife, hates John the Baptist. She comes into this area. She comes into new to town, thinks everyone's going to be loving her. And people are turning against her because this great prophet who's got this great following is talking bad about her. And so now everyone's turning against her, and she wants that prophet dead. It says, so Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to, because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. There's just something special about John. The way he talked, the way he preached, the confidence, the messages from God, Herod picked up on that. He didn't always understand him, but he knew he liked to hear him. He also knew the people supported John. We're going to see Herod is driven by pride, and Herod is driven by power, and he doesn't want to upset the, the people of the, of the land. Who John is widely popular, so he doesn't know what to do. He's got this John. He's a prisoner. He can't kill him because he's too popular, but he can't let him go because his wife wants him arrested and killed. So finally the opportunity came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. So he throws a party for himself, and they're all drinking, and they're getting drunk and, and wasted. And when the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. This is where the story gets kind of messed up. Herod's looking for entertainment. And so he calls for his new stepdaughter to come and dance. And it wasn't, the Bible doesn't say what kind of dance, but at this time, there is one kind of dance that people would come in. Usually you would hire prostitutes to come and do this kind of dance. And he has his new stepdaughter perform in front of all his friends. What makes it even more messed up is, we'll see, they, they use the word girl for this daughter. It's the same word that we saw in chapter 5. When Jesus heals the little girl, if you remember, she was 12 years old. 
So this is a young girl doing a seductive dance in front of a bunch of drunk old men. Sin says, the king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. Now Herod doesn't actually have a kingdom. This is just an expression, but he's basically saying, you name it, I'll give it to you. And so she went out and asked her mother, what shall I ask for? She's just a little girl. She doesn't know. And we see that the mother doesn't protect her little girl either. It isn't appalled that her little girl went and did this dance. She just uses her, this little girl, as a pawn. The head of John the Baptist, she answers. Herodias knows that this is her one chance. While, while Herod's drunk, while Herod's in front of all these people, he's got to keep his word. And, and so the little girl says, at once the girl hurried into the king with the request. I want to, you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Oh, the king was greatly distressed because of his oaths and the dinner guests. He did not want to refuse her. He was so driven by power and pride that instead of stepping up for what's, what's right, John doesn't, hasn't done anything to deserve death. Instead of stepping up for an innocent man, he doesn't want to be made to look like a fool in front of his friends and fellow drunk guests. And so he sends the order. He immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This story is crazy, and, and there's a legend about what, the, what Herodias does with the head that's just so messed up I can't even share here this morning. If, if you like that kind of weird stuff, ask me later. But the point is, Herodias is a messed up, bad woman. She ends up being the downfall of Herod. We see from uh, Josephus what he writes about Herod. Uh, Herod ends up, as I said, he was already married to the daughter of the king of Arabia. Well, that first, the first wife is upset and goes back to daddy and says, see what happened? And so the king comes and he starts a war with Herod to take out Herod. He wipes out most of his soldiers and Rome has to send down a legion to fight for him and they push the king of Arab back. At this, Rome is already upset. That Herod's pushed the line. He shouldn't have taken his brother's wife. He shouldn't have caused this problem. And so Rome is already upset. And yet Herodias says, they shouldn't be upset. They should give you more power. So Herodias convinces him to go back to Rome and, to say, and proclaim that he should be in charge of something more. At this, they say, that's it. That's the final straw. And they banish him to the area of Gaul, this desolate, bad place that he now spends the rest of his life. She was the downfall of Herod. And for the rest of time, we see the mistakes that Herod made. And we see the greatness of who John the Baptist was. So Mark sticks that little story in there just to kind of let the church in Rome know, hey, here's what happened to John the Baptist. Maybe even to, to let him know, following Jesus isn't always perfect, isn't always easy, and it might cost you your life. But wouldn't you rather be John the Baptist and have the legacy that he has than the legacy of Herod? And so we come back to the other part of the sandwich. Verse 30 is very short, but it just says the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. 
Mark gives just this tiny story. Luke gives a little more illustration. But the point is they come back. And we already saw what they did. They sit down in Pierce Spears. They had healing. They were preaching. But I see this like a teacher that gives a homework assignment to a bunch of, to a third grade class. Here's your homework assignment. I want you to draw something. Draw your favorite thing and bring it back to me. And at show and tell, we're going to show it to everyone. And so the kids are eagerly waiting for show and tell. And near the end of the day, she goes, okay, go get your pictures. And they all go to their desk and their bags and they pull it out. And they're so excited and they want to show the teacher, look what I did. Look what I drew. And they're telling each other, let me tell you about this. Let me tell you what, what is at home that I drew. Let, look at my picture. Look at my picture. And this is what I picture, just Jesus sitting back with the, all, all the disciples coming back. And they're saying, Jesus, let me tell you. In your name, we were able to cast out impure spirits. In your name, we were able to heal. We told people about you, and they believe. We need to go to this village that I was at because they all want to meet you, Jesus. They've heard about you. Why don't you come to this village? And they're all so excited, and you can just see Jesus sitting there, leaning back, saying, they got it. They got it. They're excited to tell others about Jesus. They got it. They're excited to tell others about the good news. The church is going to launch. The church is going to grow. The church is going to continue because they got it. The message of Jesus is in their hearts. We're going to be okay. That's why Jesus sent the 12 out. To tell others about him. That's why I believe he sends us out. To tell others about him. And one of the final things Jesus shares is in Matthew 28. This is after he's died and rose again and he's talking to the people. He says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very ends of the age. This is what we're called to, to go and share. For the past several weeks, we've actually kind of looked at this. Jesus has been telling others to go and tell. He sent the demon-possessed man, the once demon-possessed man. He says, go and tell all your friends and family. And that guy is so on fire, he goes and tells 10 cities. And when they come back to the region, they are excited to see Jesus. Here he tells the 12, go and tell everyone about me. Go and heal. Go and send out impure spirits. In Matthew, he tells everyone to go. And that scripture, that passage is not just for that time, but for you and me. We've been talking about this for several weeks. Many of us have been here every week. And I got a challenging question for each one of us. We've heard this, but in the past couple of weeks, have you gone? Have you pointed anyone to Jesus in a, in a conversation, in, a, in an act of service, in some way? Have, have you brought up Jesus to them? Imagine what it would look like if we all did that. And then we came back to Jesus and said, Jesus, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't have the courage, but, but somehow you, you, you lit a fire in me and I told someone at work about you and, and now they've come to church with me. And I invited someone to church. I don't care if they invite them to Discovery Church, just invite them to a church. Let them meet Jesus. Jesus, let me tell you, I, I sit next to this student this, in my class every day for this whole past year, and, and the year's almost up, and, and so today I finally told him about Jesus and, and why I believe. Imagine if we were able to come back to Jesus and to tell him, hey, Jesus, you know my home. It's a divided home, 
And normally I just try to avoid the subject, but I felt like I needed to share. Imagine what that would look like if we all went and did that. Many of you, might, some of you might have got a, a sticker on your way in this morning, right? If you got a sticker of any color, the colors don't really mean anything. Uh, we, we just like, I couldn't get all one colored sticker. If you got a sticker, please stand up. If you got a sticker at all. I gave out sheets of stickers to 12 people this morning. Look what 12 people could do in 45 minutes. 12 people were able to reach each one of you that are standing. 12 people were able to make an impact. 12 people were able to give you something. 12 people were able to reach this group. Imagine what if our church didn't just have 45 minutes, but had a week. Imagine if each one of us were willing to go and tell just one about Jesus. To invite just one to church. To tell just one about our testimony. This is what 12 people can do in a half an hour. Imagine what our church could do in a week. If everyone else will stand, we're going to close with some worship. And, and I just want to be able to encourage you. I know it's hard to tell others about Jesus. I'm sure these 12 were a little scared. I'm sure that's why Jesus gave them such detailed instructions. Because they're like, well, what about the bread? What about my tunic? He says, don't worry about any of that. Just go and proclaim. So to each one of us, let us go and tell others about Jesus. Let us go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded. And let us not forget, surely Jesus is with us always to the very end of the age. Lord, we just come to you right now and thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you that you are with us always. And God, I pray that if there are people in our lives that need to hear about you, people that have probably heard about you before, but they need to see your love in a tangible way this week. God, whatever that looks like, please place that burden on our hearts. Put that name on our hearts. Put that opportunity before us that we would be able to see you. And God, it, it might be uncomfortable, but you haven't asked us to a life of being comforted asked us to a life of stepping out and following you. God, I pray that this morning that people would be able to be an example for you at their homes, at their school, in their neighborhoods, at their work, at their gym, from a distance, whatever that looks like, Lord. Let us love you and follow you and be willing to share about you. God, we lift this up in your name.